Hey, hey, all you lovely people out there. You've got a lot going on in your day with big dreams and big goals for your world. Are you ready to talk some shizzle and learn some shizzle from leading entrepreneurs, changemakers, coaches, and overall interesting people who like to shake things up? I'm your host, Taylor Shanklin, CEO and founder of Creative Shizzle, and I am stoked to bring you a fresh episode of Talking Shizzle today. This show is all about helping you think differently so that you can grow. Talking Shizzle is brought to you by our team at Creative Shizzle, where we help businesses, entrepreneurs, and social good innovators make amazing marketing shizzle happen. Check us out on the web at creativeshizzle.com. Now, let's talk some shizzle. All right, welcome, welcome, friends. We are here for a new and fresh episode of Talking Shizzle. We're going to talk some shizzle today with a good friend of mine. We go way, way back in the nonprofit sector, the one and only Emily Pearl. Good time. How you doing? Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for including me. We, Emily and I got to know each other when we worked at a little company called Convio down in Austin, Texas. So Emily, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do and what you're into. Well, I really love um, eating breakfast for dinner. I think that's an important headline during the day. And also sometimes at night, I run a digital marketing agency called Greater Good Strategy. I thought that having good in the name of the company would help people remember that my last name is Goodstein, not Goldstein. So this was all a total personal branding project. And we help nonprofit organizations raise money and market themselves online. So that's the way that I, that's what I do a lot of the time. I spend a lot of hours sitting in this room. And when I'm not doing this, I really love to overshare on the internet. I'm a big fan of posting a lot of Instagram stories. I also really love to bake. I often will have one or two different baking obsessions each week, including right now it's yeasted bread. So I've been baking a lot of challah. I moved into a babka phase for a while. I was in a rugla phase for a short period of time, but it kind of has mitigated and... I also have a very small person who lives in my house that requires a lot of time and attention. So I spend time talking about her and taking care of her and photographing her and Googling answers to questions I have about being a parent. I did see a cute post. Y'all went to a hotel pool recently and she decided she didn't like clothing anymore. That was our apartment building. So we live in a building in DC and I thought that, oh, great, you know, we have an almost two-year-old, we will have swim lessons, what a good plan, and Evie can learn how to swim. And then she decided, not only does she not want to learn how to swim, she doesn't want to go in the pool, and not only does she not want to go in the pool, she doesn't want to wear a bathing suit. So she now, so I take the swim lessons, and she runs around the pool naked, which is usually fine, because there's not a lot of people there, but at some point, I think it's going to be not great. But I want to, I want to teach her to be proud of her body, and also to, you know, follow her own choices. And so I feel like this is a good way to do that is to just kind of let it roll. Maybe. Yeah, I agree. I mean, she might one day just live in a nudist colony and that's okay. At the end of the day, I think it's our job to encourage our children to live their best lives. And if that's her choice, then want to run with it. I apologize in advance if you can hear her crying in the background. (laughs) She's trying to take a nap right now, but it's not going well. The good thing I hear in all of that, Emily, is you are getting swimming lessons. 
Exactly. And it's so nice. I can blow bubbles. I can play with the toys. I know how to kick. I'm really good at singing the songs. It's really, it's a very relaxing time. So yeah, that, the headline is that I've chosen a good swim instructor. I, I like it. Now let's get into talking about entrepreneur stories. You're someone who I really admire with your journey. You're always into some interesting venture. You once told me that you love being wrong and you love talking about being wrong. Tell me about that. What is it about being wrong that you enjoy just so much? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't try to be wrong, but I just feel like I had a boss for a long time that would say done is better than perfect. And I think along the same lines, often we kind of keep ourselves, we hold ourselves back by trying to sort of figure out the most perfect thing or we are scared to be wrong or make mistakes so that holds us back. Do you actually remember in the Convio offices, there was a big sign that said make mistakes. There was some campaign in the Austin office where they had, they were trying to like free us up to chances. I sometimes channel that because I think running your own business, right? The greater a team has 60 people on it now. So I don't know how to do that. Like I, I didn't plan to have a 60 person team. I didn't know that we needed a person who was our operations director who was going to come start working with us and handle all kinds of things that I don't know how to do. Like building the team, I think, has been a, a, a challenge because I didn't know how to do it when I started out, but also programmatically, right? So the work that we do is helping nonprofits raise money online. And I used to be really anti-Giving Tuesday. <laughs> I would openly talk about how I felt like it was a crowded field. Nonprofits shouldn't spend a lot of time on it. And then you start reading, people are raising so much money around that day or that week. And yes, it's a crowded field, but not donors are conditioned to give then. So I was very open about the fact that I was wrong, right? Like that was not actually good advice that I was giving out. Another thing I love that I was wrong about was the Facebook birthday fundraiser. We had so many clients tell us that they were going to build this big thing around the Facebook birthday fundraiser. And I would routinely counsel organizations to not use that to not run in that direction. And little by little, I realized people are conditioned, like Facebook tells you to do this and people are conditioned to donate their birthdays to a cause and organizations are raising lots of money. And I was worried about it because nonprofits weren't getting the names of the donors, but then a client shared their hack with me, which was you go to the person that hosted the fundraiser and you say, Hey, thanks Will, I really appreciate that you ran this fundraiser for our organization. I want to send thank you notes to all the people that donated. Can you send me their names and email addresses? And then you can go ahead and begin stewarding those donors for a second or third or recurring gift. But for, I don't know how many years, but for a very long time, I was just routinely telling people, don't spend time on that. Don't respect the nature and the the, um, likelihood that your donors are going to want to give and donate their birthdays. And it was just a silly thing that I was so concerned about the list growth and I was kind of rejecting the nature of what donors were doing. So I admitted I was wrong. We've moved on. (laughs) I love talking about how I was wrong then. And when it comes to being a business owner, I started my own business and then I left and I went in-house with a client. And then I decided that I really, really liked working for myself. And then I went back out on my own. So I just generally feel like sometimes we make decisions that we don't want to stick to and it's important to learn. All we can do is learn from them. Absolutely. I often say the thing that you said 
somewhat differently. I say launched is better than perfect because it's like, if you never just put it out there, how are you ever going to know, you know? <laughs> so done is better than perfect. Absolutely agree. And we, for most things, unless you're getting a tattoo on your face, for most things, you can easily change them, especially in the world of digital where the industry that we work in, most text can be updated. Most pictures can be swapped out. I mean, I don't recommend that people do things in a careless way, but I think it's just so easy to get really like in our heads and try to stop iterating and just try to get like the perfect thing. It's impossible to know the way your, your community will respond until you put it out into the world. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned building a team and that's something that you, I mean, when did you start Greater Good? We are going to be four years old in November. So almost four in less than four years, you've grown from one to 60. I should say we launched with four people. So we went from four. Okay. Four to 60. What, what are some of the learnings in that? What were some of the maybe mistakes that you made while building the team that helped you learn? And what were some of the things that really kind of were the foundation feel like maybe we're the foundation to allow for that kind of growth? Yeah, good question. I spent a lot of time thinking about this because in some ways it feels a little bit like an accident. I never set out to have this huge agency with all these people. I was really worried at first about being far away from the work itself. And I couldn't imagine a system where we could maintain a quality of the work, but also have me not being able to do it all. I think at the end of the day, being centered around the experience of the folks on our team is probably the most important thing that we do. So we're definitely not the least expensive agency. And that part of that is because I really believe strongly in compensating the people that do the work as well as we possibly can while still being somewhat affordable to the organizations we work with. And I also feel like if we hire adults who know how to do their jobs, who bring skills to the table, they're going to want to do their best work and they don't need someone standing over them supervising every step of the way. So I I really try to put together project teams of people that I think will resonate well with the client's work style and sense of humor and technical needs and issue area expertise. So a lot of it is kind of matchmaking between the consultants that are doing the work and the clients that need the services and really thinking about the bedside manner or the emotional intelligence Because when you hire a consultant, in many ways, that person is another member of your team. So from the client perspective, if the consultant is not happy, then the client's definitely not going to be happy. So at the end of the day, I think everything sort of rolls up to, are the consultants happy? Do they feel supported? Do they have the tools that they need to do a good job? Do they feel appreciated and well compensated? And for us, that means being pretty radically flexible. So most people on the Greater Good Strategy team work not full-time. So they work in some either 25%, 50%, 75% capacity. A lot of folks have their own clients that they work with separately from Greater Good. At the beginning of the agency, this wasn't really by design, but we started before COVID, but then COVID kind of popped up not so uh, long after we started. And we would get calls from people saying, there's literally no way that I can homeschool my children and do my full-time job do you have anything for me to work on a greater good? And the, the person would be stepping down from a role that they would have had for 15 years. They would be at the top of their digital fundraising career. And the fact that we're an extremely flexible workplace 
was really attractive to folks or the fact that people would be able to run with the things that they're good at and partner with people with complementary skills and also get to choose the projects that they worked on was really attractive. So I think we've worked really hard to be a great place to work and we work really hard to be a team that's extremely responsive to the needs of the consultants that we work with. And at the end of the day, I think that that means that our clients are really happy. So I find myself at least once or twice a day saying, well, if the consultant's not happy, then the clients are not happy. And then what's the point of doing this? So I think we're able to offer a sort of unusual setup for people who want to collaborate with us from a consultant perspective. And then that then moves to clients having a great experience. So routinely, I'll have consultants come to me and say, I'm particularly interested in working on this issue. Or I feel really passionate about disrupting this space. And then it's how wonderful that I get to pair up that person with that issue and know that they really care about it. We only work with clients with missions we support ourselves or we would donate to ourselves. And so at the end of the day, I think the consultants are really the centerpiece of that. And literally, I can't do this myself. I don't do it myself. I intentionally built an agency where I was no longer doing this myself. And so if the consultants if we lose sight of the consultants being kind of the centerpiece that I don't really think we would be as successful. That was a long answer. I hope I answered your question. No, you absolutely did. I love the focus on if the team's happy and people are showing up and doing work that they love, that the clients will in effect be happy as well, because they're going to be getting good service and they're going to be working with consultants who are happy and joyful and bringing that to work. And I love that you actually help to pair consultants with issues that they personally care about because yeah, that's going to bring out the best work and best product for everyone. So I think that's really, really smart. You mentioned that you were worried about getting too far away from the work. How do you stay close to the work or do you at all? Cause I completely know what you mean by that. How do you do that? Yeah. So it's been, we've definitely have iterated on this one a few times. Um, so at first I was, well, let me start actually with what we currently do. So everyone on the greater good strategy, every client that greater good works with has a senior strategist who sort of owns their account. And that's a person that I meet with once a week. And we talk through what happened in the past week, what's coming up, um, what's going really well. Is there anything we need to be worried about? And those are also folks that I love and trust. I love and trust everyone on our team, but there are people that can somewhat expect, oh, this is something that Emily might be concerned about, or I'm going to flag this. It might be nothing, but I want to just make sure we can talk through it. We get a chance to kind of troubleshoot or often I'll say like, what did the energy feel like in the meeting? Or what was the response like? Or, you know, did the person take that well? And it's really helpful to know that the people that are on the other side of that Zoom conversation are people who can read the room and assess the situation the same way that I might have. So the sort of centerpiece is folks I really love and trust. And if someone's new to the team, we pair them up with someone who's been on the team for a while. And there's kind of like a partnership shared client relationship so they can get their sea legs at greater good until they're a little bit more out on their own. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I meet with each of our clients at least once a month, month, if not more frequently, And I start every week out with a set of emails to all of our clients. I have sort of a rotation to make sure that I'm in touch with people at least once a month and say, hey, you know, I just met with so-and-so and and they shared about what's going on on the project. Do you want to carve out some time to check in? I'd love to hear how things are going on your end. How are you feeling? I can send the questions over email if you prefer. Most of the time we get to pop on Zoom and really just talk through, do people feel supported? 
at the end of the day, if you don't feel supported, then why would you hire a consultant? And then the third thing is we have a executive team. There's one kind of main person, and then one person who supports her who review all written deliverables. And then our creative director reviews all design deliverables. So everything that goes to a client is reviewed by a member of our executive team. And then in addition to that, we also have a proofing team. So my mom is a professional proofreader. And so I grew up in this household where everything was like red line before it went out the door. So we also have this professional proofing team. So I know that there's been eyes by the senior strategist, the proofing team, and the executive team on everything that goes to a client. And then I'm in touch with the sort of the conversation around how the client feels and how the senior strategist perceives that. It took us a while to kind of get this mix, but right now it's working. And I actually find that I deal with many fewer clients having questions about scope or timeline than I used to in the first the first two years of the business feel very different than the second two years because I think we've kind of have gotten this formula down. And at least for right now and our size and the type of clients we're working with, it's going well. But it is a little strange to not be in every single meeting, brainstorming every single tactic and strategy and writing every single word of every document. It's still weird. Well, I appreciate the, the share in that. It sounds like a good system and you're working things out. The proof is in the reputation. And I think at this point, we, as marketers, we've really scaled back what we do to market the agency and really scaled up the time that we spend making sure every client feels great about their engagement with us. And so 100% of our business comes from direct referrals. And I think that that just goes to show that people are having good experiences. They're telling other people to reach out to us. Absolutely. How do you find the right people? Like, what are some things that you look for when you're hiring this team? So that's definitely the number one, the, the consultants are again at the centerpiece. So every day, at least 25% of my day is spent doing something to find consultants with the right skills and time mix. So part of that work meant bringing on an operations director who recently started, her name is also Emily. <laughs> which is going to be not confusing at all. Um, And she's going to help us with a little bit of that work. But we made a financial investment in finding those people. And part of it is networking just like I network to get clients. So I'm talking on all my social channels about our need for specific skill sets. I think, you know, my husband jokes that I'm always looking for members of the Greater Good Strategy team. So one person on our team is married to a woman I met in the midwifery office, we were both pregnant. Our babies are three weeks apart. And it just so happened that he does paid social media ads and we needed that skill set. And I knew his wife was lovely and that we like him and he's on the team now. So just like we talk about clients and look in industry publications and on listservs and in Facebook groups and on Instagram and on Twitter and et cetera for client work, we're also doing the same for consultant work. And I also think just as other clients refer us, people know that greater good is a great place to work. They know they're going to be supported. They know they're going to be well compensated. And so it sounds so cheesy, but referrals from our current consultants, those are the best people that we find. So a lot of folks on the team are people I've worked with in other capacities, or they're people that I've worked with the connector in another capacity. And we've been doing this for long enough that it's not actually as challenging. It's just time consuming to make sure people are properly onboarded and supported and things like that. And I imagine that 
that is something that's evolved too over, you know, two years probably looks different than four years when you think about like onboarding and having a real process. One thing that was really scary was we had this wonderful managing director who helped me start the agency and she left at the end of last year to go off and do another fantastic job. We love her. I'm actually, I'm having lunch with her later this week. It was the right decision. And she wrote this like really heartfelt email that I printed out and read sometimes when I'm feeling sad. And that said, I often would think, what are we going to do without her? And then we survived, right? So, and that was the time when we were able to take a look at some of the systems that she'd been running that worked well for her. And then when we didn't have her in her role, think a little bit about, okay, what, what, what might we do now that Shannon's not here? So that's when we developed a different system for the sort of onboarding of new folks. And then we just, I just mentioned we hired this operations director. And so I imagine that the process will iterate again. One thing I love though, is that we do have this really beautiful onboarding webinar that we host for people who are new to the team and it just looks really good. And it's, it, uh, we record it. So if people can't come live, they can watch it recorded, but it's just like a really nice welcome to the team. And it just explains who we are, what we care about. And it's a nice mix of informal and fun and useful. And um, we actually test drove it with people that were brand new to the agency who had no context to make sure that it made sense and it answered their questions. And I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what versions two and three of that look like. That's awesome. All right. I want to turn the tables a little bit. So (laughs) I want to talk to you about kind of being vulnerable as a working mother who also runs a 60 plus person company. And you are someone who shares a lot. You say you overshare. I read a lot of the stuff that you write on Facebook and I appreciate it. And I appreciate the vulnerability. And I think a lot of people do. So talk us through what it was like becoming a parent. So I think we have to, first of all, thank you for asking that question because I, I don't know if, I often hear people say, no one talks about this. And then I want to say, I'm talking about it. So you can too. I don't understand why no one talks about it because it, I feel like after I like delivered the placenta, my brain chemistry actually did change. I think we know that research supports that. And so is there any way that we can do our jobs out of the context of also being parents? I don't think there is. And it happens that my job is also a huge part of my life and my identity and my schedule. And so the two have to sort of be melded into one. (laughs) So first of all, it was extremely hard. I would actually go as far to say that it was horrible. I never want to do that immediate postpartum time again. Coming back to work was actually not as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it was still extremely hard. And I have all the support, right? I'm extremely privileged. I have so many people that help me. We have a full-time nanny. My husband also works from home. My family lives locally. Our baby is healthy and typically developing. And we have a network of people that can come take care of her. But one of the big headlines was that I came back to work in COVID. So we got pregnant before COVID. We had a baby before vaccines were available. And then I came back to work still during a time when we had to be very careful about who was able to come into our house, where the baby went during the day. The fact that I took any parental leave is also a huge headline. And I will never not be grateful for that. There's literally no way that I think most people who've gestated and birthed a child can come back to work Even I was able to take four months, which still felt like a drop in the bucket, but I feel extremely lucky and privileged that I was able to take any time. We actually rewrote part of the way we talk about greater good to say 
we have like a paragraph in our proposals that talks about sort of who we are and how people come to work and bring their full selves. And we talk about how the agency is run by a new mom learning to nurse and parent and run a business all at the same time. I should note that we stopped nursing. The baby's going to be two tomorrow. (laughs) So the headline is that I eventually was able to stop doing that. But that was one of the hardest things, right? It takes, it took just as much time as running the business. So there was a lot of moments where I was like camera neck up and like pumping at the same time. So I guess the first thing is, I don't think it's possible to separate that personal part of our lives and the professional part of our lives. So I don't want to do that myself. And I don't think our teams need to do that. And the second piece is that we work on issues that affect human beings, right? We're an agency that helps nonprofits raise money and market themselves online. And those issues are often things that directly affect human beings. One of our clients helps people who are pregnant and incarcerated. So it doesn't hurt that I talk about my own experience being a new parent um, and understanding how hard it was for me to be working parent with a small person, let alone dealing with the the issues that the population that that organization serves helps. And I think that owning all of that and also talking about the fact that it's hard and sharing the little things that could potentially make it easier is important. I learn so much from the people that are on our team, whether they have children or not. I mean, one person on the team has a puppy and she talked to me about how she coordinated the puppy care schedule for the week. And it sounded just like the way I coordinate our child care schedule. And I appreciated the Excel spreadsheet template that she had created for herself. So the one kind of like concrete thing, I guess, that I figured out that works right now, which granted, who knows where this schedule will go when our little person is a little older, but I actually realized that I do my best work when the baby is fast asleep at night because I, I just know that she's like in her crib and okay, and I'm not going to be interrupted. So I end up doing almost all work that requires writing and like large expanses of uninterrupted time at night. And I don't start any meetings in the morning until 10 a.m. So I work often 10 to 5, and then I work again from like 8 to 12. And that was never my schedule before, but for whatever reason, that we for all the reasons we just talked about, that's what works well for me. It's something that the team has been really receptive to and it worked well for our clients. And it just took a little creativity to think, okay, I'm going to just push my bedtime and then go back to sleep in the morning. Well, it shows the flexibility that like you really have to be able to be open to in order to balance all of these things, you know? And I, I appreciate that you talk about the hard stuff that people say, nobody's talking about this, but so many people are dealing with this. And so... I agree. I think the lines between work and personal life are, they cross, especially now. So many people work from home and, you know, we, we're all in our homes. All of us on this podcast right now are in our <laughs> home, homes working. <laughs> exactly. So it's something I picked up on too that you mentioned, Emily, was where during networking when you were talking about networking. I mean, networking really is just gaining friends for the most part, right? gaining acquaintances, meet them while you're out or on Zooms. (laughs) But yeah, networking is just like making friends, right? Completely. I think as a person who's relatively extroverted and open to meeting new people on a regular basis, it, it comes easily to me. And I feel really lucky that I get to meet a good number of new people and figure out how we might support their organization or a cause they care about, or maybe bring them into the greater good fold as a consultant. Emily, thank you so much for your time today. 
Thanks for having me. This was so fun. What a treat to talk to you. It's great to have you on. If people want to get in touch with you, find out more about Greater Good Strategy and the work that you're doing, what's the best way to do that? The best way is to check out greatergoodstrategy.com and I will let you know that we're about to unveil a new website. So this one is a few years old and we have a new fancy one that's going to be going to make its debut in a few weeks. But the, the one that exists right now is a great way to find us and send us a note or find us on social media. But all the goodness is at greatergoodstrategy.com. Awesome. Cool. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Talking Shizzle. We'll see you next time. Well, hey there. That was fun. I love how much mind-blowing and mind-opening shizzle our guests bring to us with every episode. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast player so that you don't miss a beat of the Talking Shizzle podcast. And if you're listening on Apple, be sure to let us know what you thought and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from our listeners so that we can bring you all the good, juicy business growth shizzle that you would like to hear about. Get in touch with us and follow along at creativeshizzle.com or email us at podcast at creativeshizzle.com. Until next time, keep making your shizzle happen. Happen.